Coming up in this episode. And long-term effects on performance as well as well-being is concerned when it comes to ketoneaster ingestion. Yeah, yeah, and I think that is uh, a great point where Hezbollah showed a, a, a paper that was very beneficial, a boon to the whole exogenous ketone world where, again, in terms of using it in terms of recovery with protein carbohydrate versus uh, a placebo, you're really seeing upwards of 15% increased performance over that duration because the recovery is so enhanced with mTOR and all, all that good stuff for you, mm-hmm. which you want to be activating. Right. Like almost every technology, like every tool, you have to know when to use it and how to use it. In my career, I've seen enough things, enough claims where there's no silver bullet for anything. Um, and I think any scientist that claims that they have like the holy grail of anything really needs to get their, uh, you know, uh, maybe their ego or their, 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 their ego checked a little bit. Just we need to be reasonable and fair to understand how all this data pieces together. I think that's truly what science is. Yeah, and I think we should keep an objective eye looking at science, looking at research, looking at results, because ultimately we want to know the truth. Yeah. And I think as, as many things, same like glucose. If it's if you're going into a race, too much glucose will make you sick. Too little, you'll just bonk, bonk out. out. Yeah. yeah. And you need that Goldilocks Win, you know, for ketones as exactly. well, potentially. Hey everyone, welcome back to the HVMN podcast. We are health via modern nutrition. This is your host, Jeffrey Wu. I hope you are healthy, well, and looking forward to the summer in 2020. A lot going on in the world, but a lot to look forward to. I'm excited to be joined by my regular co-host, Dr. Lat Mansour. He's also the research lead at HVMN and is always deep in the literature. I've really appreciated his partnership doing some of the deeper research roundups on the HVMN podcast. And of course, he's got his fingers deep in R&D with Chrissy, Max, our, op- our operations team at HVMN, making really awesome HVMN products for all of you guys. So really an intellectual pleasure to banter, discuss science with you. Uh, Lat, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you very much. And also adapting to our new normal as we, you know, going through the lockdown and the COVID-19 pandemic, trying to stay healthy and exercising as well. So hopefully everyone here is the same. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been taking our own advice in terms of cleaning up diet, some intermittent fasting, of course, that exercise. So yeah, no, it's good to hear that you're doing well. I know that, um, especially with the news, uh, you know, a lot of folks aren't doing as well. So I think we're always feeling privileged and fortunate that we're able to keep doing what we do and love. Today, what we'll be talking about is science, is a bit of a hybrid research roundup and a conversation on an exciting new paper that just came out a few weeks ago, I believe mid-May 2020. And this paper comes from one of our favorite researchers, Professor Peter Hesbel of KU Levon. And you might recognize that name because he published a landmark study that came out in the summer of 2019, and it was right around the Tour de France of 2019. There was a big hoopla around ketone esters, Tour de France. What is this new innovation nutrition in the athletic landscape? And that paper there was looking at ketone esters with overtraining or overreaching. And the quick summary there was that 
ketone esters taken post-exercise in a recovery period reduced overreaching symptoms. Mm -hmm. So really cool results. And now that same research group has published a new paper mm -hmm. that's titled Exogenous Ketosis Impacts Neither Performance Nor Muscle Glycogen Breakdown in Prolonged Endurance Exercise. This was published in the Journal of Applied Physiology. What were the key results? And then we'll unpack it from there, talk about methods, protocol, all that nuance. And I'm sure we'll bring in other papers as we talk about the whole entire corpus of the literature with ketone esters, but also exogenous ketones broadly. Sure. So let's start from the bottom. So the conclusion of this paper basically says KE intake during simulated cycling race does not cause glycogen sparing, neither does it affect all-up performance in the final stage of the simulated race. Interesting. So to be clear, it didn't improve performance, but neither did it decrease performance. It was essentially no, no impact. Correct. Interesting. So obviously one of the big selling points with ketone esters has been an ergogenic effect. So this was, uh, is this contradict that previous understanding? What's yep. going on here? And, and controversial in a sense as well. Previous understanding of our ketonester or, or exogenous ketones taken directly before exercise does increase performance and could possibly due to the glycogen sparing effect of ketonester when taken before exercise and having the blood ketones uh, maintained at a higher level, right. i.e. more than two millimolar. Cool. In terms of the headline, mm -hmm. is this contradiction or is it because science is nuanced, protocols are nuanced? Should we dive into the methods and the protocols and see what were the differences here and what might explain the different outcomes? Let's talk about uh, the details here so we can unpack the headlines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's a very, very good point for people. Headlines are meant to grab your attention and they're meant to be controversial and all that. But as a scientist, I think it's very important for us to go into the details and look at what exactly has been done and how does that correlate to the findings. Cool. All right, let's go straight into the methods. 12 male athletes have been put through a simulated cycling race which consists of three-hour intermittent cycling, 15 minutes time trial, and ended with a maximal sprint. I'm reading also the abstract here that the cyclist population was also highly trained cyclists. Correct. I know that within sports performance papers, there's also a lot of difference between untrained versus trained athletes. That's right. And I think it's a cool specific detail here that these are trained male cyclists. And typically, I mean, the male part is... Uh, you know, less relevant here, but at least a highly trained part means that there's less variance typically with trained athletes. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would say pseudo trained, but someone that's like completely off the street, you might have a really, really great day and their variance is like 10, 20% mm -hmm. with really highly trained athletes. My understanding is that they're so tightly dialed in, they're dialed in. So when you actually have interventions like a ketone ester or a ketone salt or something else, you can actually measure out the actual ergogenic effect of the intervention itself. Love to just dive into the, the simulated cycling race itself. I think mm -hmm. one of the things I liked about Hezbel's 2019 paper with the overreaching was that he really tried to simulate a Tour de France 
type of routine, just like heavy, heavy exercise, and then how one might typically recover with nutrition afterwards.、Mm-hmm. I seem to recall that one of his goals with this paper was to do a time travel that's more. Similar to what's ecological or more normal,、yep. or, or more realistic in a performance setting. So,、yep. uh, let's talk about what, what does intermittent cycling mean? That three-hour first period, and then was there a rationale why after three hours there was a fifteen-minute time trial, and then why was there a sprint at the end? And usually, how long was the sprint? So this is exactly、um, to your point. They are trying to simulate what the cyclist would experience in a normal cycling race. Where first three hours they would cycle at varying、um, speed and intensity depending on the terrain, and then it will, towards the end there is this, the last sprint towards the end point. So the whole idea of this is more environmental versus experimental. Got it.、Uh, if I have to give a comparison to say Cox's paper in two thousand sixteen, where they showed exogenous ketone. Um, increases ketone acid increases、uh, performance. Certainly, it's more experimental because you fast overnight, and there's one hour fatigue, and then right after that, a, a time trial. And also, that that one hour pre fatigue was done at a consistent in- intensity at seventy percent、um, max output、uh, max VO two there. So this is more ecological, more environmental. That is m- reflective of what happens in reality. Got it. So yeah, let's definitely do a side by side comparison of Cox cell metabolism 2016,、mm-hmm. which was one of the key seminal papers that put ketone esters on the map as an ergogenic supplement, and compare that with the protocol and the methodology here in the Hesbel 2020 paper. But before we get into comparisons and and, and all of that, let Let's keep walking through and breaking down the Hesbel 2020 paper.、Mm-hmm. There, it was a crossover design study, so it's the same population of 12 cyclists, and they did both a placebo and、uh, the intervention uh, at, uh, in, in randomized order. So you get a good one-to-one comparison of the impact.、Uh, what exactly was the intervention? I know that some of the critiques, and also I just knowing that I've been. You know, we've been the leaders of selling ketone esters over the last couple of years. One of the concerns and questions I have is always got to be stacking with carbohydrate and also making sure that you don't underdose. So, what was、uh, the dosing strategy that Hesbel implemented? So, for this Hesbel paper, what they have done in terms of dosing and feeding is that the athletes were encouraged to follow their habitual lifestyle and diet to begin with, even. To the day before, they were not faster overnight. In fact, two hours before the exercise, they had a carbohydrate-rich meal, and then one hour before the exercise, they were given twenty-five grams of、uh, ketone ester. Half an hour before the exercise, topped up another twenty grams of ketone ester, and lastly, half an hour into the three-hour trial, they were given the last twenty grams of ketone ester bolus. Got it. So that's a pretty decent amount of ketone esters. I mean, that's essentially close to two and a half, three drinks of HVM and ketone. So a solid amount of ketones being、uh, ingested here, and it looks like they were also stacked with sixty grams per hour of carbohydrate in、yes. addition to the boluses of ketone ester.、Um, 
And the control drink was simply, was it calorie matched of carbohydrate? That's or? very interesting yeah. question because this paper is not calorie matched. So those with ketone ester, they are actually taking an extra 120 calorie per 25 gram oh, of so ketone ester versus Cox's paper, which is calorie matched. So they have a decreased amount of glucose, but that difference in calorie was um, overcome by adding ketone ester. Got it. So what we're saying here is the placebo was a caloric bitter liquid. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's uh, so you're really giving an advantage to the ketone ester group because you're getting more calories just from yeah. a calorie perspective. Right. Interesting. One of the key things that we always always have to see is uh, measuring blood BHB levels. That's ultimately the in- impact of any exogenous ketone. Again, like why try exogenous ketones? Well, it directly elevates ketone levels in your blood. Uh, can we talk about that curve? How do how do the blood ketones look for uh, the Heswell paper? So um, in the first hour before, leading to, to the start of the exercise, the blood BHB spikes up to around a little bit above three. Okay. And then as it starts to drop a little bit at the beginning of the exercise, the top up begins. So the, the last bolus of ketone ester being administered, and then it spikes up a little bit more towards the three again. And then over time, it drops all the way down to one at the end of the three hour trial. And this is a very important point here. The blood BHB drops down to one at the end of the three hour pre-fatigue period. So we can talk more about this as we go along. Got it. So the blood BHB really dropped as uh, the beta hydroxybutyrate got metabolized and burnt through. Uh, so you're not having much ketones towards the time trial is what we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get back to the results then in terms of the bottom, bottom, bottom. So what was the specific data uh, comparing control and intervention? So did we just see non-statistically significant difference with both performance in the three hour with the time trial and the sprint? Can we bucket out the performance? The performance, I believe um, they looked at the time trial and the sprint. So they looked at the distance covered within the time trial, obviously. And they also looked at the um, energy output, which showed no difference. And also measuring the glycogen storage that has, that is left at the end of all, um, they they saw no difference. And this is glycogen storage, meaning muscle biopsy. Yes, correct. I salute those cyclists who (laughs) allow themselves to be sampled for uh for science yeah that's not something i would ever do you can't pay me enough to <laughs> sacrifice my muscle sorry yeah <laughs> especially after such a grueling exercise routine yeah cool so just to uh, acknowledge and make sure that our listeners are following and tracking here nothing changed in terms of performance with the time trial nor did there was any preservation of glycogen so why is that relevant? Why is that glycogen piece important? Well, the glycogen piece is important because previously or previous studies have shown that there is a glycogen sparing effect by exogenous ketones or ketone ester. However, this glycogen sparing effect was thought by researchers to be the indirect effect of ketone ester um, to improve performance. Right. So basically your body is holding on to the glycogen so that 
further on, as you go further into the race, you have extra energy that can be broken down from your glycogens that may improve your performance. So that's the, the train of thought there. This is probably the right time to open that can of worms and do an apples to apples comparison between the Cox cell metabolism 2016 protocol with the 2020 Hezbollah protocol, just to unpack that because why do we have one study that shows glycogen preservation and an ergogenic effect around 2%? And then why does another seemingly very similar protocol generate no effect and no glycogen preservation? And what does that imply in terms of proper use or optimal use or where one can, uh, for one shouldn't use? Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a waste of money to use ketone esters in a, in a context that it's not impacting anything. It's an expensive uh not great tasting placebo that doesn't doesn't even give you the placebo effect. Yep. So when and, and why does the context matter here? As with every study, um, it is very protocol driven. It is very protocol specific. Yeah. And what I'm simply saying is that this particular protocol by the Hasbro group with this paper, there is no glycogen sparing effect. Yeah. However, there is some form of glycogen sparing effect in Cox's paper. Now let's see what the nuance is between them. First of all, in Cox's paper, the athletes have maintained high level of blood PHB throughout the, the pre-fatigue sessions and even throughout the time trial. Yeah, yeah. so let's talk about the protocol to set up. So what was the feeding going into the exercise day and what were the exact blocks? I know we touched upon this a little bit where the athletes, the cyclists coming in were fasted overnight. So nothing in their system and probably glycogen depleted to some level coming in overnight fasted. And then what was the exact cycling regimen that the researchers had the cyclists on? So in Cox's study, the athletes were given ketonester before the exercise itself, um, 15 minutes before. And then throughout the exercise, they were topped up to make sure that their blood BHB is above 2 millimolar up to the time trial. So they even take another one right before the time trial. Okay, so let's walk through the timeline exactly. Mm -hmm. So how? So in Hezel paper, there was a three hour intermittent cycling challenge. Correct. 15 minute time trial, mm -hmm. maximal yeah. sprint. Mm -hmm. What is the apples to apples comparison with Cox? Cox is one hour pre-fatigue at 70% um, max VO2. Okay. That would be the um, pre-fatigue protocol. Yep. And then a 15 minutes um, time, time trial. trial. So two blocks. Yep. And then ketone ester for Cox's paper. What were the boluses at which point? They were given 573 mix per cake body weight of ketone ester. Okay. And they were given, okay, 50% of the drink was ingested at baseline and the remaining 50% ingested as equal aliquots at 30 minutes and before the time trial at 60 minutes. Got it. So it's basically given X body weight adjusted amount of ketone ester, half of that right at the beginning and then 30 minutes in, 60 minutes right before time trial, uh, the remainder of the half. So 25, 25 yeah, each. That's right. Got it. So if I were to make an apples to apples comparison with the Hezel paper, all the ketone ester was very much front loaded. Mm -hmm. And for the Cox paper, the ketone ester was much more evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings up the second point, which is that ketone ester, or sorry, 
BHB levels, blood beta hydroxybutyrate levels, were maintained much more steady with the Cox paper, whereas in the Hesbo paper, the blood BHB was depleted quite quickly and was only about one millimole BHB by entering the time trial. Yeah. Whereas in the Cox paper, it was always at two plus millimole through the entire uh, exercise bout. Yeah. And going into the time trial was above uh, what, two, 2.5, almost three. Yeah. And also note that for Haspel's paper, by the end of time trial, the blood BHB was even lower than one. Got it. So that is going into the sprint. So you basically have almost no BHB going into the maximal sprint. Great. For the headline, which suggests that exogenous ketosis impacts neither performance nor muscle glycogen breakdown in prolonged endurance exercise, maybe another way to state this is that not sufficient amount of exogenous ketones impacts neither performance nor muscle glycogen breakdown in a prolonged endurance exercise, right? Because if you're to step, take a step back, what was the ma major intervention difference? Well, the one intervention difference that I see as an uh, independent observer of science is that the blood BHB levels were different. Regardless of what was the intervention that, that induced that exogenous ketosis, it could be ketone salt, it could be butane dial, it could be another kind of ketone ester, not the same beta hydroxybutyrate monoester. Mm -hmm. Any of these things can drive up or down blood BHB. Uh, it just happens to be the case that in this study, they use the same molecule on the same beta hydroxybutyrate monoester, but the dosing and the amounts that were dosed uh, had very different impacts on blood BHB. And perhaps that is a dominant explainer of why there was on one hand an ergogenic effect and on another hand, a non, a, 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 no, difference. A, a no difference effect. Yeah. You also might think that ketone ester may affect acutely um, glycolytic pathway. Yeah. And therefore it might affect the sprint. So you don't want ketones in your blood right before a sprint yeah. or right before a short, intense bout of exercise. Yeah. Um, but n regardless, I would love to see if there is ketone in the blood, would it actually deter the, the, the bouts of exercise? Would it actually negatively impact the intense exercise? That is something that I would love to see if um, they carry on with the maintenance of ketones in the blood. Right. I mean, so the Cox result implies that there hasn't, there is no glycolytic impact. Um, well, I mean, they didn't measure glycolysis per se, but certainly not impacting glycolysis enough to negatively impact performance. Where the ketosis pathway was beneficial enough. It, it, yeah, I think that's a, a good nuance point there. Mm -hmm. So where do we sit? I mean, it sounds like, you know, one paper is like, okay, this works. Another paper is like, ah, it doesn't work. And I think where we're unpacking the protocols is that it depends on the context and that yep. depends on the use case and depends on the protocol. Yep. I know both research groups and I know some of the co-authors and I think they're all great researchers. So I think all of this actually does make sense together. It's just a fact of what is exact context. And again, my suggested title edit to be very specific about exogenous ketosis at a sufficient level mm -hmm. seems to be an important nuance point. I want to bring in another review paper from 
uh, Lee Margolis and Kevin O'Fallon. These are researchers out of the U.S. Department of Defense. And I actually got to meet Mr. Maybe he's a Dr. O'Fallon at this point uh, a couple of years back. And I thought he was a nice gentleman. And he wrote an interesting review paper that looked at exogenous ketones broadly. So not just ketone ester, but also acetoacetate diester, ketone salt, other compounds, other molecules that you can eat to elevate ketones. And doing a survey across the entire category of exogenous ketones, he found three papers that were positive ergogenic benefit, 10 that were null, and three that were negative. And the key thing that to take away from that paper was that he has a great figure, uh, figure 4B, that hypothesizes a threshold for an ergogenic effect in terms of blood BHB. And he suggests that you have to maintain above a 2.0 millimole for, a for an ergogenic effect, which would be a reasonable hypothesis or prediction given the data that sits at hand where again for the cox paper where there was a benefit blood bhb was held above 2.0 through the entire bout and uh, in, in in the in the in the hezbollah paper it started off at three but it's quickly used up and uh, dropped below one so i think that to me is a great conciliation of all the data that is out there. Mm -hmm. We basically started from nothing. We don't know if ketone ester would even do anything to us to begin with. And then we slowly narrow down what benefits it brings. And then we narrow down what sort of dosage that we need. And then now we are down to the nuance about like how do we use it in what way that gives us the most benefit. And I think a lot more research will be done and can be done to really make us understand this specific compound or even like you said all the time, um, the fourth macro. Yeah. I mean, we have seen numerous papers done over decades on protein, um, carbohydrates, fat. Yep. So I think now ketone is starting to get that sort of traction where people experiment with different protocols, where people would engage in discussions and debates about whether or not it's causing positive and negative effects and how does it do so? Yep. Yeah, I would love to propose some future research ideas. I would love for the scientific community to further prove out. So what were the differences between the two protocols? Uh, we talked about the blood BHB levels that was held into until entering the time trial mm -hmm. uh, or the sprint bouts. Yep. I would love to compare fasted versus fed. I think a fed population is honestly the more fair, ecological, practical use case. Mm -hmm. I would never recommend one of our athletes to go into their championship bout fasted. That's moronic, oh. <laughs> right? Um, so we need to do a more ecological study mm -hmm. where people come in fed with their normal carbohydrate or if they're a ketogenic athlete, a ketogenic fed state. Mm -hmm. But I would love to see enough ketone ester dosing where it maintains a three to two to three millimole BHB throughout the bout, the duration of the bout, especially towards sort of a time trial or the final maximal sprint. I think that would be a very definitive, useful uh, study that would really 
I think, converge uh, both the Cox results and the Hezbollah results. Yeah, you're basically uh, superimposing the two studies, yeah. uh, you know, bringing realistic ecological factors into the Cox's paper yeah. while adding more experimental variables in Hasbro's paper. Yeah, so the Wu Mansur protocol that will <laughs> close the gap here and really definitively answer it. It's out there. It's open source. So run when, when are we going to get some grants and money to run our own study? <laughs> that would be interesting. I think it'll be hard to do any human research at this point, yeah. the COVID pandemic, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, uh, but in all seriousness, I think that would be my proposal to bridge uh, where we see a, a more and more solid understanding here. And so, also what's, what was something that we might have forgotten is also seeing post-race, you know, what sort of extrapolation we can bring to the table as far as recovery, overreaching, and long-term effects on performance as well as well-being is concerned when it comes to ketonaster ingestion. Yeah, yeah, and I think that is uh, a great point where Hezbollah, I think, uh, showed a, a paper that was very beneficial, a boon to the whole exogenous ketone world where, again, in terms of using it in terms of recovery with protein carbohydrate versus uh, a placebo, you're really seeing upwards of 15% increased performance over that duration because the recovery is so enhanced with mTOR and all, all that good stuff for mm -hmm. you, which you want to be activating. Right. Like almost every technology, like every tool, you have to know when to use it and how to use it. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, in my career, I've seen enough things, enough claims where there's no silver bullet for anything. Um, and I think any scientist that claims that they have like the holy grail of anything really needs to get their, uh, you know, uh, maybe their ego or their, 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 their ego checked a little bit. Just we need to be reasonable and fair to understand how all this data pieces together. I think that's truly what science is. Yeah, and I think we should keep an objective eye looking at science, looking at research, looking at results, because ultimately we want to know the truth. Yeah. And I think as, as many things, same like glucose, if, it's, if you're going into a race, too much glucose will make you sick. Too little, you'll just bonk, bonk out. out. Yeah. yeah, and you need that Goldilocks Window you know, for ketones as exactly. well, potentially. Any other nitpicks or nuances that we want to really unpack before moving on to takeaway items and current best practices from HVMN on how to properly, optimally use ketone esters for acute sport performance? I know that, I think we did a pretty good job breaking down the protocols, uh, the, the population, a very similar population of male trained cyclists both feeding and exercise protocols we've looked into yeah fasted versus fed the duration uh the boluses yeah um yeah both uh really great impressive uh feats of science i know again just from knowing the folks who are on the bench who are doing the muscle biopsies and staining and and, and measuring all that blood that has to be frozen and shipped off to labs. A lot of great work, uh, months on the bench to get mm -hmm. there. I mean, I, I never personally done it yourself. I mean, you, I'll let you speak to us. a lot of, um, a lot of shoulder tendonitis off from pipetting. <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced that personally. Um, but certainly the gratification that comes with C 
seeing the results and publishing it and really discovering new science, uh, so to say, it's it's really great. It's really cool. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's turn this into action points, takeaway items, simple rapid fire question. Mm-hmm. Does ketone ester work? And I'm going to follow up that with another question. Work for what? It depends on context, right? Okay. So in terms of context, I think what we have been recommending our athlete customers um, should still stand in in terms of taking ketone ester before the race, like acutely like half an hour, 45 minutes before the race. And then throughout the race, keep the ketone ester administration up so that the ketone blood levels would stay above two millimolar to really reap the benefit of ketone ester in terms of performance mm-hmm. enhancement. So what we have learned here is that if you do not top up ketones and towards the end of the race where your ketone levels fall below one or, or, or even less than that, you may not see any difference compared to your competitors who have the same um, physique or same performance you know, You're using a standard carbohydrate strategy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, most importantly, exactly, carbohydrate, you need to uh, keep the carbohydrate um, in to make sure that you have at least 60 um, grams per hour, yep. uh, 60 grams per kilogram of body weight per hour. Yeah. yeah, that would be the same recommendation for me. So my recommendation for acute use, so use it for an ergogenic performance boost would be, yeah, Gold standard carbohydrate load, so around 60 grams per hour, up or down, depending on your own gut. Uh, I think that's been one of the, something that I've personally have been playing around with and experienced myself. You eat too many uh, sugar bombs and you really want to have to uh, poop on, on the on the race course and you don't want that. Yeah. So, but keep in fine and dial in your carbohydrate intake load. And then, yeah, exactly. Top up. Uh, to elevate your ketones before the race and then keep that elevated at least 2.0 millimole throughout the duration. Otherwise, you might not see that ergogenic effect. Um, anything else in terms of chronic use or recovery use? I think Hezbollah's protocol from 2019 still is a great protocol to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, um, uh, that's basically using ketone ester with your standard protein carbohydrate recovery yep. mix. What they have, for an if exercise. I remember correctly, would be 500 mils of 60 grams uh, carbohydrate and about 30 grams of protein together with ketone ester. Around 25 grams? Around. Of yeah. ester? Yeah. Of ketone ester? Yeah. Cool. So that would typically get you to around two to three millimole of ketones. I think an interesting research question would be how much ketones, how much BHB do you actually need to see that recovery of blunting of overreaching or overtraining effects? Mm -hmm. Can you have 10 grams of ketone ester? Do you need 50 grams? Is that even better? Was Was there a study on the dose response for recovery? Not that I remember. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, that'd be interesting, right? Because it sounds like a lot of the researchers have been focused on the dose response for acute pre-competition. Yeah, uh, I would love to see well, again, I, another I, research idea for the 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 grad students out there figuring out the dose response for recovery of ketone yeah, could be interesting. I think I think it's also um, quite early as well, given that this paper was published what a year ago, less than a year ago. Yeah. So I think even if they are doing right now, they're probably finishing up some studies and to be published. So it's still quite early. Yep. Uh, and they did follow like these athletes for three weeks 
doing this sort of recovery protocol um, only to to measure the difference in hormonal response uh, with overreaching symptoms. One of the the other things that we have known for a while now is the signaling effect of exogenous ketones or just ketones, ketone bodies in general, whether it's from ketogenesis in our bodies or from exogenous ketones. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing to unpack here. So yeah, in terms of how this might impact recovery, longevity, or performance, what can we what can we say about uh, the signaling effect of beta-hydroxybutyrate? Beta-hydroxybutyrate does interact with um, transcription factors via beta-hydroxybutyrylation, and that turns on and off certain genes that has to do with metabolism um, or longevity yeah. and over obviously a long period of time that will have an effect on our well-being and health right and because it's such a new area and also the the period where it will take effect i mean if we're talking about longevity it, it requires obviously very long follow-up yeah um i'm sure there are people already looking at that um and and it's it's i i'm just really excited to see what's next um, as to you know what exactly does ketone do in terms of signaling effects uh, specifically with metabolism with aging and and even therapeutic uses yeah another thing that i think is interesting that we haven't yet touched upon is the cognitive impact mm-hmm. the central nervous system impact mm-hmm. that seems to be something that has been anecdotally observed and i wonder if that might be teased out in in a study uh, you know, are ketones or beta-hydroxybutyrate useful as a metabolic substrate? Is it useful as a signaling molecule? Or is there some sort of impact on uh, cognitive function that ends up being ergogenic? I think that's where the mechanism of why BHB may be useful as an ergogenic is still yet to be determined, right? Yeah. On the cognitive effect, I believe there are several papers already shown the cognitive benefits of ketones in general, not just exogenous ketones, but also from ketogenic effects, um, sorry, from ketogenic diet. And recently we did a research roundup looking at how ketones uh, from ketogenic diet or exogenous ketone could actually stabilize brain networks as people age. And that could be a very powerful preventative tool for um, early onset dementia and cognitive impairment. So going forward, I believe that more studies will look into what are the different sources of ketones, whether is it better for to produce your own ketones endogenously, or is it better to consume some form of exogenous ketones, and to what level that brings your ketone level to, and what is the threshold as to, you know, how impactful that is. Or just given the context of this specific research roundup, maybe you want a hybrid and a better protocol that uses both endogenous and exogenous ketones. Mm -hmm. So almost every single research roundup, I think how we conclude is that very interesting and much more to learn. And I think this is definitely one of that. So hopefully you thought there's a fair breakdown of Hezbollah's 2020 May Journal of Applied Physiology paper. Uh, I, I think we really both pride ourselves with just speaking towards science with integrity and just seeing it, saying it how it is. Um, and uh, hope you thought it was a fair, honest, useful breakdown. Yeah. And uh, love to hear your feedback. Uh, any other proposals on what the best research moving forward? We'd love to plug that in.
Yeah. And also because this is a research roundup, this is a little tidbit for you folks out there who like to read um, scientific publications and articles and papers, is that what, whenever we scientists do an experiment or we design a study, it is always by nature an artificial artificial design to answer a certain hypothesis or a question. So every study will have their own limitations. So having said that, when you look into a paper, you should always look into how they do things, how can they better um, do some things better and, and eliminate some other things or include some other things. And that's what fascinates me personally in science. And that is why we're here, you know, breaking down all these different aspects of a paper to make make it easier for people to understand the nuance. Well, if you like this episode, Blatt and I and our producers will always appreciate that like, that comment, that engagement. It really helps us rank in all the algorithms on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. I know that Zilla set up a awesome little Discord channel for our best community members and it's popping in there. Just fill out that survey, get your invite. I'm in there, Lat's in there, let's hang out, let's chat. Uh, but I'm also always on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at Jeffrey Wu. You can find Lat on Twitter as well, at uh, Lat Mansour. So find us out there. You're in quarantine anyways. Talk to us. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, be well, stay safe, and talk to you guys next week. See you guys. 